invite you also to open your Bible with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to pick up where we left off in this new series that we began last week, Good News of Great Joy. That is the, the theme of the series as we go through the different narratives of Christmas through the Gospel of Luke. Good news of great joy. Would you say that out loud with me? Good news of great joy. I'm going to have you say it with joy this time. <laughs> it's called Good News of Great Joy. We need to resonate when it comes to joy. We need to let others know that we're saved, that we believe in Jesus, that we're blessed, that we've received His grace. Has anyone received grace here? We receive grace, rejoice. So Luke is carefully recording the events that took place during the birth of Jesus Christ. And from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, he gives an introduction regarding the future of the forerunner, John the Baptist. From the future of the forerunner to the birth of our Savior, here in chapter 1, he's now teaching us what it means to respond to the announcement of our salvation. Have you responded to the announcement of your salvation, that salvation is now possible? Have you responded to the announcement that Jesus takes away our sins? So last week, we looked at the unbelief of Zacharias. And now we look at the faith and trust, the obedience of Mary. And how Elizabeth would say, the Lord has lifted my reproach by giving me a son. The Lord has lifted my reproach or the condemnation or, or the now criticism that the world would give her for not bearing children. The Lord lifted that by giving her a son named John, whose name means God has given grace. That's how God lifts the reproach from our lives as well. He would lift that reproach by giving us grace. He has made a way for salvation for us. And the son, John the Baptist, would turn many away from himself, away from the world, unto Jesus. Many would be converted. Many would be now turned over to Jesus Christ. He would call them to repentance. That was the ministry and the message of John the Baptist. But we also learned that this was a time of oppression, a time of fear from the Roman government. It was a very dark time when the people desperately needed hope. I think we're living in the same type of backdrop right now in our culture and world today where people desperately need hope. Maybe right now you've come and you desperately need hope in your situation. You're asking God to, to answer your prayer or, or to be present in your circumstance. Well, this is when the announcement of the birth of Jesus comes during a time of chaos, during a time of confusion, during a time of oppression. God's Spirit is still at work. And Jesus came to be born to die for our sins because we could not save ourselves. This is the prophecy in, in Luke 1 uh, of the seed of the woman that would bruise now the head of the serpent. The woman Mary who would give forth a son Jesus that would come and take away the punishment of our sins that is given to us by our sinful nature. Now we see a few movements here through the uh, verses that we'll look at this morning. And the first one is the salutation from the angel Gabriel to Mary. 
And then we also see the annunciation as she, he announces to Mary the good news that she would bear a son and it would be the Messiah. But that comes also with an explanation of how it will happen. And then finally, her response, the submission. She responds in submission to this news. Now, notice what the angel Gabriel tells her. He tells her three things, and I pray that you write these down uh, this morning, that you would be encouraged by them right now. The angel Gabriel tells Mary, number one, the Lord is with you. He assures her God's presence is with you. I want you to know right now, the Lord is with you. Number two, he says, do not be afraid. God has a plan. Do not be afraid. And number three, he says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. This will be a work from the power of the Holy Spirit. No matter what we face in life, we can remember these three things. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit will do a work. How many of us believe that the Holy Spirit still wants to do a work today? Amen. I want to invite you that you would stand with me for the reading of his word. We'll begin there in verse 26 through verse 31. And I'll read the even verses. You read the odd verses out loud together. Luke 1, 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have been found with favor with God. Lord, we thank you for your word that speaks to us regarding our salvation. And I pray, Lord, as you encourage us with your word, with your plan, with your presence, with your power, that we would respond the right way. That we would respond to your plan, to your presence, and to your power in submission and surrender. Thank you, Lord, that you came to save us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Here the salutation of the angel to Mary begins in verse 26. This is at the appointed time. This is when the angel descended. And it would say in verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. It would say in the sixth month. It happened at the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth. Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist for six months. And at this appointed time, God then sent Gabriel the angel to Mary to give her the announcement. He was sent by God. Do you see those words in your Bible? Sent by God. God was orchestrating all of these events. God is sovereign for the timeline as to how these took place. And the location is also important that we would look at because he was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And the people of Galilee were looked at oftentimes by some as unclean people. They were looked at as unclean people because of the surrounding areas that were filled with Gentiles. So if you lived, lived in Galilee, you were considered low spiritually or unclean. 
And not only did he go to Galilee, but he went to a small village in Galilee already, a town called Nazareth. This place was especially despised, Nazareth. It was known for being very poor. It was known for being very violent. It was a a place of bad reputation. It was a place of sin and corruption. In fact, many people, when they thought of Nazareth, they thought of a place of disappointment. And think about it right now, maybe you find yourself in a place of disappointment. Well, there at the place of disappointment that we may find ourselves in, the message of salvation comes to us. At the place where we needed this message the most, a very simple and humble place with no type of prominence or prestige. In fact, when now Philip told Nathaniel in the Gospel of John that he found the Messiah who came out of Nazareth, John 1.26, it would say that Nathaniel told his brother, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Is he really from Nazareth, our Messiah? Can anything good come from there? Just think about uh, if you consider a location or a place where you would think it's, it's very low or poor or violent. You would think, why would Christ come from there? But this is God's grace in verse 26, that he chose a woman from Nazareth to be the mother of the promised Messiah. That God comes to us at the place of disappointment, to the humble, to the simple, to the places and people that are oftentimes overlooked. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul said this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, think about this. He became poor that you through his poverty may become rich. God made himself poor and not simply poor, but to the poorest levels of that day, Galilee and Nazareth. An unlikely place to an unlikely person because when God does an unexpected thing, he's doing it for his glory. How many of us know that God often does unexpected things in our lives, right? We have our own plan. We have our own agenda. And God's plans don't always sound like a good plan. (laughs) But we have to trust him. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, what does God say? We know this very well. For my thoughts or my plans are not your thoughts. You may have had thoughts and plans, but they're not the same as God's. Nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. These are God's ways. These are God's thoughts taking place. God's perfect will there in verse 26. It had a perfect place, perfect timing. God orchestrating all the events for the salvation of mankind. The angel Gabriel comes, verse 27, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. Now we see here that Mary is betrothed or engaged to a man. And Jewish girls were usually in their teenage years when they would be married, but their marriage between husband and wife was arranged or prearranged by their parents, their families. This betrothal was a courtship process that lasted about one year. It was very serious. It almost would require divorce to break up this engagement process. 
Oftentimes we think about it in our culture, the way we see things in regards to a prearranged marriage, it doesn't sound like a good idea. Just imagine your parents choosing who you're gonna marry, right? Growing up, I always thought that sounds like a very bad idea. And now I have a daughter, I think that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> but this is what would happen during that time. And the message came to a virgin whose name is Mary. Her name means exalted one. God exalted the humble. God exalted the simple. And two things that are worthy to note here in verse 27 is that she was a virgin, and number two, the house of David. Would you circle those in your Bible? The virgin and the house of David. Why? Because both of these things remind us that the birth of this child would line up to the prophecy that he was the Messiah. And we see here through this virgin Mary, whose life was pure. We have to note that as well. She lived a godly life in an ungodly place. In a place of disappointment, in a place of corruption, in a place of sin, there was still Mary there. And Mary there was living a pure life, having been engaged and courted to a man who was from the house of David. The Bible says, number one, that the Messiah would come and be born of a virgin. What was foretold in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. God's word does not fail. In Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, it would say this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin, notice the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. God would give us a savior through a miraculous conception. He would be born of a virgin. The virgin birth, they're described in verse 27 of Luke 1, it's not incidental, it is fundamental to the birth of Jesus Christ. This had to happen this way. The virgin birth reminds us that the eternal deity of who God is put on the robes of sinful humanity and we receive the God-man. He is truly God, he was truly man, serving now as the mediator between us and God to bring us to reconcile to him. This is who God is. He made himself flesh. He was to be born of a virgin. This explains to us, reminds us, confirms to us that this is the Messiah that is to be born. But the second prophecy and only one verse that we see there is that he was of the house of David, Joseph. In the Old Testament, the Lord has spoken that the reign or the kingdom established would come from the house of David. You see how important it is for us to pay attention to these prophecies in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. It would tell us that the Messiah would come from the house of David. So first from a virgin, second from the house of David. 2 Samuel 7, 12, when your days are fulfilled, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seat after you, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be his father, he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him and the rod of men will with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him. 
as I took it from Saul, whom I removed it from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. God now has given this word to David that his throne would be established forever, that from his family, from his descendants would come a kingdom that would be forever established. It is not an earthly kingdom. It is a spiritual and heavenly kingdom that it would describe that out of his lineage, the Messiah would come. And notice in verse 28, and having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice. The angel comes in to this place, fulfilling prophecy, confirming that what was foretold is being fulfilled. Jesus is the Messiah. And the angel's message is this, one word, rejoice, highly favored one. This is an amazing message that we all need to hear today. Every one of us needs to hear this word, rejoice. Oftentimes we let the circumstances in life rob us of our joy the trials in life to take away our joy. How many times you leave the house and you check for your wallet, make sure that you didn't lose your wallet, forget your wallet or your phone, right? And then if after you checked your wallet that you didn't forget your wallet at home and you didn't forget your phone at home, then you check, make sure you didn't leave any kids at home, right? <laughs> but you check for everything that's important to you. This morning, I want you to check for your joy. Because our joy should be important in our lives. Our joy is rooted in Christ Jesus. Our joy comes from the place of us recognizing we have received grace. Today, we have a reason to rejoice. And so did Mary. The reason she had to rejoice is because she was highly favored. Highly favored means full of grace. Would you write that down? Full of grace. She was blessed because she was a recipient of grace. She wasn't a dispenser of grace. She was one that received grace, not because of who we are do we receive grace, but because of whose we are. Who do we belong to? We belong to the Lord. We are his children. You're a child of God. Because of whose we are, we receive grace because of the goodness of who God is. So the angel says, rejoice, because you've received grace. We can rejoice today. We're saved by grace. We're sustained by grace. We're preserved by grace. In fact, the Bible says that you two are full of grace. Did you know that? When you've come to faith in Christ Jesus, you also can rejoice. You are full of grace. You are favored of the Lord. You are highly favored. When people ask you, how are you doing today? You can say, I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. You're blessed and you're highly, I, I, I encourage you, go to the grocery store. Maybe when you're doing your Christmas shopping, that, that'll give you a good reason to stay in a good mood. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. Why? Because I've received the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace that comes from his salvation. In Ephesians 1, 6, it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Notice this by which he made us accepted. That word accepted means full of grace. God has made us full of grace in the beloved. God has filled us with grace when we've come to faith in Christ Jesus. So he says rejoice 
highly favored one, full of grace. Notice here is the first encouragement, the Lord is with you. Today, remember that God has given you grace and the Lord is with you. Would you know that today God is with you? His favor is on your life. You have the blessing of his grace, but you also have the blessing of his presence. He's with you. Think about that. Highly favored one, the blessing of his grace. The Lord is with you. The blessing of his presence. Two things that together minister to us, his grace and his presence. You have a calling on your life. God's hand is upon you. He has shown you grace and he is with you. Now, I want you to know that not only has God filled you with grace, the Lord is also with us. These words are for you today, this Sunday. You are full of grace, the Lord is with you. The last recorded words of Christ in the Gospel of Matthew 28, Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always. I love the word always. He didn't say I'm just with you. He's with you when? Always. Even to the ends of the age. So God has made us accepted in the beloved, full of grace. The Lord is with us always, even to the ends of the age. You are full of grace and you've been blessed with the presence of God. So he says this, blessed are you among women. Now notice what he says here. It's very specific because he says, you're full of grace. The Lord's with you. Blessed are you among women. He doesn't say blessed are you above women. He says, blessed are you among women. God has blessed you among women, the blessing of God on her life, the blessing of God on your life as well. The Bible says specifically in Ephesians 1.3, again, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now notice after having received this greeting, rejoice, you're full of grace, the Lord's presence is with you. He has blessed you. Verse 29, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and consider what manner of greeting this was. She was surprised. She was confused here. She was disturbed. In fact, it would say there that she was troubled inside. She, she couldn't understand what this angel would have meant with this message. What, what could he mean? Do you see the attitude, the, the heart of honesty and of humility that Mary has at the visitation that God has for her through the angel Gabriel? She was humble. She was honest. She was surprised. She wasn't entitled. And she knew that God was doing something and she didn't know what to expect. This wasn't something that she was expecting. It would have been interesting if we read, you know what, and the angel came and Mary said, well, it's about time you showed up, angel. <laughs> there are times that we are disappointed because we haven't received royal treatment. Oftentimes the reason why we haven't received that is because we want it. Mary didn't want any of this. See, see, we get in trouble when we, we think of ourselves highly or we want to be important or we think we're so relevant. She wasn't expecting a visitation. She didn't want any attention. She wasn't entitled to this. In fact, what this tells us is that God blesses the humble with favor. Would you remember this? Who does God bless with favor? The humble. 
the one that comes from the overlooked place, the person that is mostly unlikely to be blessed oftentimes. In James 4, 6, it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. If you want grace in your life, you know what, what we must do? Humble ourselves before God. That is who God exalts. That is who God lifts up. That's the salutation. Look at the annunciation in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You have no reason to be afraid. Think about it. If the Lord is with you, we have no reason to be afraid. If the Lord has shown you grace, if the Lord has shown you favor, if the Lord has blessed you, if his hand's upon you, you have no reason to fear. This is how the message of salvation comes. It comes in a form of encouragement. Now, this is a consistent theme throughout the Gospels when it comes to the Christmas narrative to us, to Zacharias, to the shepherds, to Mary, to Joseph. The words, do not be afraid, were given. To us right now, the words, do not be afraid, are given to you. You may think, I don't know what the future looks like in my life. I'm facing trials. I'm confused or I'm troubled like Mary. You would find yourself troubled in your soul right now. God is saying to you, do not be afraid. What could she possibly be afraid about? Maybe she was afraid of the process. Maybe she was afraid of what the Lord was doing in her life after having received that word that, that God oftentimes shows up and rearranges our plans. Has God ever done that in your life? He'll show up and he'll, he'll say, that's your plan? Well, that's, that's nice. Let me put that aside. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. God rearranges our plans. We may see them as accidents, but they're really divine appointments. And notice what the angel here is saying. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Reminds her again. You have received grace with God. God has given you grace. And then five characteristics are given to us regarding the ministry of Jesus. Five different characteristics, distinctives regarding Jesus are, are given to us there in verse 31, and you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. Notice his humanity. Would you write that down? His humanity. You're going to conceive, you'll become pregnant, and you're going to bring forth a son. He will be born of a woman. He'll be born of a virgin, his humanity. But number two, you see his mission and you shall call his name Jesus. The, the name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. That means that Jehovah is our deliverer. Jehovah is our savior. That is the mission of Jesus. His humanity and his mission are found there in verse 31. When the angel Gabriel told Joseph regarding Mary's now pregnancy, and she would conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, he also said this, and he shall save his people from their sins. This is the mission of the Messiah. His humanity and his mission. He was born and he would now live to die to be the spiritual deliverer or savior of his people. Not only his humanity, his mission, notice number three, his greatness. 
Because the angel says this, he will be great. How will Jesus be great? Jesus would be great and Jesus is great in his words and in his works. You find his humanity, you find his mission, you find his greatness here. He's gonna be great. Great means above all. Great means that he is preeminent. He is before all things. He is first. He is number one. Did you know that Jesus should be great in your life too? Above everything, first, number one, preeminent. He should be number one in your heart and in your life. He is great. You may think something is good. That can be good, but Jesus is great. His humanity, his mission, his greatness. And he shall be called the son of the highest. Now here you find his deity. The son of the highest here. The highest would re, now would, would re, describe the majesty of God. He's going to be the son of the highest now. The son of would describe equal to the majesty of God. He will have the equal majesty of God. This is the deity of Jesus Christ. This is who he is. We have to know who Christ is as we look at the narrative of Christmas here. And God would give him, notice what the Lord would do, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. What does this confirm that he would come from the throne of David, from the house of David? His Messiahship. That he would be the Messiah as already confirmed in verse 27 and 28. From the house of David, he is the Messiah. The Lord would give him the throne of his father, the house of David. He would rule the kingdom coming from the house of David, an eternal kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. Notice those three words, throne, house, kingdom. What was foretold is being fulfilled here. You can't deny it. Jesus came to fulfill the promises of God for his people. You know why it's important that we realize that Jesus is born? Why is it important that, that we celebrate this, that we rejoice about it? Because in him, all his promises of God are completed. Without the birth of Christ Jesus, the promises of God wouldn't mean much. But because Christ was born, because Christ died, because he resurrected, because he ascended, and because he's coming again, God's promises mean everything to us. That's exactly what it, here we are reminded of. The humanity, the mission, the deity, the messiahship of Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah 23, 5, would you write this verse down? It would describe the messiahship of him, his, not only his greatness, but his messiahship as well. Behold, the days are coming, Jeremiah 23, 5 says the Lord that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness coming from the house of David. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which you will be called the Lord our righteousness. That's Jesus. Out of the house of David, he would come to rule, to reign, and to establish his kingdom. Remember these things as we look at the salutation, as we look at the annunciation. But now let's look at the explanation as to how they would happen. 
And it would be out of a work of the Spirit. Verse 34, let's look at the work of the Spirit there. Because Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? Now, Zacharias also said how, but his how was different. Zacharias, he gave a how of unbelief. Mary gave a how that is a wonder-filled faith response. She knew what was going to happen, the angel told her. She wondered in faith, trusting God. I wonder how God is going to do this. She understood the promise, but she didn't understand the performance of the promise. She didn't know how God was going to do it, but I, I believe in the promise. I trust in the promise. I know God will do it. There are many times that God tells you he's going to do something and he doesn't tell you how. Our responsibility is to trust in the promises of God, even when we don't understand the process as to how he's going to complete it. And this is how Mary responds. She didn't ask for a sign. You know who asked for a sign? Zacharias. And the sign was that he couldn't speak. She, she trusted in God. You know, oftentimes the Lord tells us and speaks to us, this is what I'm going to do in your life. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. You're full of grace. You're blessed. And we begin to in doubt, say, how, Lord? Logically, this doesn't make sense. This seems like an impossible situation. It could have seemed that way for Mary as well. She would say, I'm a virgin. I haven't known a man. For you, you could say, well, you know what? I don't have enough experience to do what God has called me to do. Or I don't have the resources. Or the doctors are saying one thing. Or I'm facing opposition. Or the heart of that person is so hard now that they don't want to open their heart for the message anymore. Some would say, well, I'm getting too old. Or some others would say, I, I think I'm too young or I have physical limitations. You know what's important to remember here? To not limit God with your personal preferences or excuses. Do not limit what God is doing. The Holy Spirit has no boundaries. The Holy Spirit's going to do a work and he will work outside, outside of your human limitations. This is the explanation. You know what the explanation is? The Holy Spirit. Usually that's the only explanation when the Holy Spirit's doing a work. If you can explain it, it probably wasn't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but there are many things in our life that we can't explain. You know, the, the only explanation would be it was the Holy Spirit. It was a work of God. And this is exactly what we see here. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. This is why in verse 34, you see and in verse 35, the response of the angel, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Notice, that's the answer. And the angel answered. Circle the word answer. How, how is this going to happen? I, I don't have results, but God has answers. And you know what the answers are? It's by my Holy Spirit. It's by my presence. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. This is going to be a miraculous conception, Mary. Upon means you're going to be empowered from on high. And the power of the highest, notice the highest here. This is another name for God. It's the Hebrew name, El Elyon, which means supreme, sovereign, Lord, ruler. The ruler, the sovereign, the El Elyon highest, he's going to overshadow you. Not only is he going to come upon you, he's going to overshadow you. That word overshadow means to tabernacle over you. 
or to cover you like a cloud. It means to surround you or to influence your life. The Holy Spirit will empower you, surround you, influence you, cover you like a cloud as the cloud of the Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament. Do you remember when the nation of Israel was, were led through the wilderness by a cloud? That cloud was the glory of God. That cloud was symbolic of the Spirit leading them. The same cloud or the same glory, the same Spirit that, that would lead Moses and the people would overshadow Mary. And the power of God would come upon her to do a unique work in her life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. But notice, as we look at Mary's life, what was she? She lived a pure life. Remember this. She lived a pure life. Purity allows the power to flow through you. There are so many people that wonder, why isn't the Holy Spirit doing a work in my life? Because there is no power in a compromised life. Would you remember that this morning? There is no power in a compromised life. There are so many Christians that are living without power because their lives are filled with compromise. Purity allows the power to flow through your life. How you would say the answer is the Spirit of God. Zechariah 4, 6, we know this, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is what we need today. We need the, the Holy Spirit to come upon us. We need, we need to be overshadowed or surrounded, influenced by the Holy Spirit in our families, in our lives, in our marriages with our children, notice what the Holy Spirit does. He provides healing. He provides restoration. He provides reconciliation. He brings revival. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we lean on our own strength, it will not happen. This was a work of the Spirit that brought in the miraculous. This is how the miraculous is possible, through the Holy Spirit. So in verse 35, Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. There are three names of God that are listed there in verse 35. I pray that you don't miss them. The first name there that is listed is the highest, El Elyon, the supreme ruler and Lord. The second one is the Holy One, which means that he is uniquely separate, distinct from anyone else. This is who he is. He is the Holy One, different from anyone else. There's no one like him. He's the Holy One. And the third name of God in verse 35 is the Son of God. Do you see that? The Son of God. I want you to understand that the work of the Spirit is doing a miracle in your life, Mary. It's going to be by the Supreme Ruler, who is the Holy One, and the Son of God, who is to be born is the Messiah. Now, why is he the Holy One? Why is he the Son of God? Anytime you would say Son of in that culture, it would mean equal to. You would say Son of, equal to that person. Jesus is equal to God the Father. Equal in nature from all eternity. He's the Holy One and the Son of God. And now, why is he holy? Why is he separate? Why is he different? We know that Jesus knew no sin. That's why he was different. He was a perfect sacrifice. He was sinless. He was the Lamb of God, that it was perfect to take away our sins. He had to be holy. That's who Jesus was and is. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin. Jesus was the Holy One. He knew no sin. Not only did Jesus know no sin, he had no sin. In 1 John 3, 5, it says, and you know that he was manifested, Jesus, to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. This is the Holy One. This is the Son of God. Now, do you notice through these three names that the emphasis is not on the greatness of the mother, it's the greatness of the Son, Jesus. Who is he speaking about? The highest? the Holy One, the Son of God. All of the attention is on Jesus. Today, would you make and put all the attention on Jesus Christ? Take the attention off of yourself. Take the attention off of things. Take the attention off of substitutes. You know, we should put the attention all on the Son, Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go, you would be pointing to Jesus. This is where all the attention is in one verse. Three names describing Jesus, all the attention given over to him. And notice the confirmation in verse 36. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This is encouragement. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Do you remember your relative, he's saying, who, who was considered barren, who is in her old age? She's six months pregnant. Why does the angel tell this to Mary as a sign of confirmation that if God can do this for Elizabeth, so could God do this for her? Think about what God has done through the people around us as we see a work, a miracle of God. And oftentimes we say, well, you know, God did that for them, but he'll never do it for me. No, if God did that for them, God is strong enough, faithful enough, great enough to do that for you too. He's reminding, do you see the power of God? This is an example here that God has the ability to carry out his promise to, to your relative who is considered old in age. God has the ability to carry out his promise and to do a new work. Now, I love there in verse 36 where it would describe Elizabeth who is past her old age. Because so many times, People say or think, well, you know what? I am too old or I'm past the age of God doing a new work in my life. We are never past the age of the Holy Spirit doing a work in our lives. Sometimes we say we're too young. Look at Mary. We are never too young for God doing a new work through his spirit in our lives. He's reminding here, Mary, notice what God is able to do. And verse 37, he hears the statement of faith. This is what we should all live by. Would you read this verse out loud with me? Verse 37 together, it says this. For with God, nothing will be impossible. There's one person that is grateful for that over here on this side. <laughs> Have you seen the faithfulness of God in your life? The miraculous happen. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And I love those words, with God. With God. In Christmas, not only are we reminded that with God, but God with us, Emmanuel. With God, nothing will be impossible. 
What he's saying here, the angel, is the word of God will never fail. Write that down today. The word of God will never fail or no word of God is powerless. His word is full with power. No word of God is void of power. His, his word comes with power. Gabriel knew the wisdom, the power, the love of God here. What he's saying in verse 37 is God's promises never fail. He has the power to keep his promises. God has the power to keep his promises. God accomplishes his purposes through the power of his word. Did you get that? Verse 37. God accomplishes his purposes through the power that is in his word. This is why he says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. God keeps his promises. I want you to know that. Regardless of how circumstances may seem. I heard a quote recently that said this, faith never rests so calmly and so peacefully as when it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. Your faith never rests so calmly. Your faith never rests so peacefully as when it's resting on the pillow of God's omnipotence. Do you see how powerful God is? When you realize how powerful he is and how powerful he is for you, your faith can rest in him. There is no sin too great. There's no trial too heavy, no promise that is unfulfilled, that is out of the powerful hand and reach of God. Gabriel's statement here in verse 37 should be our statement of faith that we would say, my statement of faith is nothing is impossible for God. That my statement of faith is for God, with God, nothing will be impossible. Every word of God contains power, his, his commandments or his enablements. What does that mean? That when God commands you to do something, you know what he also does? He gives you the power to carry on that command. There is power in the word of God. There is power in what he said, regardless of what people say, regardless of what people do, regardless of how difficult circumstances may seem. Remember this. With God, nothing will be impossible. I'm resting in the omnipotence of God and the power of God. You see the salutation, the enunciation, the explanation. Notice the submission. Verse 38, then Mary said, behold. Now, do you see how Mary, now she's speaking like an angel. And her behold, her attitude is this, here I am. That is the perfect attitude. You know what her attitude is filled with? Surrender and submission. The same way we should respond when God calls us. He calls you to ministry. He calls you to serve him. He calls you to follow him. He calls you to take a step of faith. He calls you to live a pure life. He calls you to walk in obedience. You know what our, our response should be? Behold. And she says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. She calls herself a maidservant of the Lord. The maidservant was the lowest servant there is. She was, I'm not just a servant. I'm a maidservant. I'm a doulos. I'm a slave of the Lord. I'm a slave of the Lord, Lord means master, behold, here I am accepting the words of my master. Do you see the attitude of Mary? She was humble. 
but she was also available. How many times has God spoken to you and you say, behold, Lord, here I'm not. Lord, do it with someone else. You know what Mary is saying? Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, I'm just your slave. You hear my master, I'm willing. She has a teachable attitude. I love this about Mary. She's teaching us humility, teachability. She's teaching us to be ready, to respond, to be obedient. She's without rebellion. She's without excuses. Sometimes God calls us to do something or a certain season of our life. He's calling you to something that's uncomfortable. And you say, Lord, I don't want to do that. That's uncomfortable. You're just his slave. He's your master. We are not to give him excuses, hesitations, delay in our obedience, or try to negotiate with God. Lord, I'll do that. Can we do it this way instead, God? No, notice what she says. I'm the maidservant of the Lord. And just imagine if she came to Gabriel and responded, I, you know what, I, that's all well and good. Let me just go talk to Joseph and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna see if that works out for both of us. Sometimes when God calls you, you think, well, I don't have enough information. It's not that you don't have enough information, it's that you don't have enough faith. She is trusting in God. So she says, may everything you say come true in my life. May everything you said about me come true. You know what she is submissive? To the word of God. This is why she says, according to your word, she's obedient to the word that is coming from God through Gabriel, submissive to the word and the will of God for her life as a servant, as a slave. What are we to be? Submissive to God's word for us. Do you remember back when Jesus was teaching in the gospels there and Someone yelled out, oh, blessed is the woman who bore you and the breast who nursed you. And Jesus hears someone just cry out, a woman cry that out. What a blessing it would be to be your mother who carried you and nursed you. You know what Jesus responded? Oh, you know what? More blessed is he who hear my words and actually does them. You know what the blessing is? In receiving the word and in obeying the word of God. Let it be to me according to your word. That is the proper response of every believer to every promise of God. That should be the response that you have in your life towards God. Don't say, let it be to me according to my feelings or according to my experience, according to my emotions, according to my agenda, according to my short-term and long-term goals. No, Lord, let it be according to what you want, according to your word. Whatever you have for me, I will gladly accept. That's what Mary is saying. Can you say that today too? Whatever you have for me, I'll gladly accept. She's surrendering herself as a willing servant. She knew she may well have been the slander of the town. She knew the consequences of what it was to be unfaithful or to be found to have a child out of wedlock. She knew all of these things. But how we respond to unexpected news is a clear indication of where we are in our relationship with God. I want you to pick that up today. How you respond to unexpected news is a clear indication of where you are in your relationship with God. Do you really trust Him?
Do you really trust God that he is in control? We should say, Lord, we're willing to go anywhere. We're willing to do anything. We're willing to be anything. We're, we're just a maid servant. She's modeling faith there in verse 38 for us when she doesn't understand everything. Why? Because she experienced the grace of God. She believed the word of God. Therefore, she could be used by the spirit of God to accomplish the will of God. Today, you have received the grace of God. Do you trust the word of God enough? Obey the word of God so that the spirit of God can use you to accomplish his will for your life? so that you too can present your body a living sacrifice like Mary did willingly. I am the sacrifice, Mary is saying. Do whatever you want. I surrender, I obey, I submit, I respond, I'm ready in body, soul, and spirit. Did you know that she did that? Body, soul, and spirit in body in verse 38. In soul in verse 46. We'll look at that next week. In soul, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. In spirit, verse 47, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Do you see that? Body, soul, and spirit are submitted over to God. Don't argue when God has his ways in your life. Don't resist what God wants to do in your life. Sometimes we're afraid. We're afraid to commit to what he wants for us. But we should never be afraid to commit an unknown future to an all-knowing God. Do not be afraid to commit an unknown future to an all-knowing God. Know who you serve. What is your response as you hear that salvation has come? Are you submitted to him? Are you trusting him? Are you resisting him? Are you saying, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. God will use you if you trust him. Her life was in the hands of God. Is your life in the hands of God today? waiting on God to bring his promise so that his promise would come to pass. This happens as you say the very same thing, not only from your lips, but also from your heart. Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Do what you want. Can we pray?